You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is Stephanie. In this episode of the podcast, we are discussing episode eight of season four of Orphan Black, the redesign of natural objects. While there will be spoilers for that episode, there will be no spoilers for future episodes. I can't believe there are only two episodes left. I can and I can't. I, I know I, I feel like I should be more like, no, there's only two more episodes. And I guess I am a little bit that way, but mostly I'm just kind of excited to see how this all concludes. I agree with that. Yeah. It's one of those things. I think it's just like the season is really short, but the episodes are really good. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that whole, I'm excited to see where they're going with this, but I'm kind of sad to see it end for, you know, a year or whatever it's going to be. But I just continue to just really be enjoying the season. And they continue to just keep it really personal, I think, when it comes to Clone Club. And I'm just enjoying the heck out of the season. Me too. But it always feels weird to say that because, like, terrible things have happened. I know. <laughs> I know. But I mean, terrible things happen every season, though, I guess. They're taking me on a journey. I wasn't quite as nervous and tense as I was in the last episode, but I, again, had the same sort of sitting forward, what's going to happen? I reached over and I touched Susan's arm several times while, I, while we were watching. Just involuntarily, I realized I was, like, touching her, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> needed needed some grounding. Yes. <sighs> I hear ya. So what do we want to talk about first? Do we want to talk about Island Neolution? Neolution Island? <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's talk about Neolution Island because I had this thought, I kid you not, I had this thought when I was watching the episode, it's Orphan Black Survivor. <laughs> it does kind <laughs> They're of on feel an that island, way. There's a new alliance that has formed. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just saying. Season 20-something whatever, cycle 20-something whatever of Survivor. I have no Neolution idea. Island. I like it. My dad would know, but I don't know. <laughs> so we got some kind of important stuff going on there this week, it feels like. I Okay, so last week I was talking about Rachel, and I mentioned the fact that Rachel had good qualities. I actually considered taking that out in editing because I just expected emails to flood in <laughs> saying, what are you talking about? And they did not flood in, but we did get one very strident email from Victor basically saying, what are you talking about? Rachel's terrible. She's done all of these terrible things, which is all true, Victor. I am not... Yeah, we're not saying otherwise. No, I think I, we even said in last ep episode, she's still a horrible person. However, <laughs> we can see her, her good qualities. Good qualities does not equal good person. No. And I would say Rachel almost always uses her good qualities for evil purposes. <laughs> but that does not mean that she doesn't have them. And I feel like actually Charlotte this season has brought out more of her good qualities, make them more apparent, right. and actually use them, have her use them for good. Because the thing is, like, she was actually very nice to Kira when Kira was that there. Too. I mean, yes. Kira clearly didn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but... I feel like Rachel was being decent to her as much as the circumstance could allow. After kidnapping her forcibly, yes, yes, she was being right, nice to right. her. Yeah. Again, I'm not <laughs> saying that was a good thing. I know, I'm just saying exactly. she was being kind to her. Yes, I agree. I think both times Rachel has had significant interactions with children, she looks better than you would expect she would. But but okay, so Rachel's good qualities. Here is what I say what I would say personally. Here are three qualities of Rachel's that I, I think are good qualities. One is that she will tell you hard truths, which we talked about last week, and I think we see her doing again this week. And two, she is uh, very intelligent, clearly, usually using mm -hmm. that for evil purposes, but clearly very intelligent. And three, she's very determined and very driven. Again, mostly used for evil purposes in the past, like the whole <laughs> killing you know, Sarah. It, it's yeah. the whole thing, like, qualities are both good and bad, yes. right? Because it's basically the same thing as saying she's ambitious, which can be a great thing, but mm -hmm. it can also be a terrifying thing. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. But I feel like we are seeing her put her, her, her good qualities toward better uses these days, I don't think I've still gotten to the point where I can root for Rachel, but... Oh, I, me neither. But at the same time, I don't know that I necessarily wish her ill as frequently as I did previously. <laughs> I think that's an excellent way to put it. Like, I'm not fond of Rachel, but on the sliding scale of people who are doing bad things, at the moment, Rachel is the lesser of, of those evils. Yes. That's, Maybe. That's not to say, though, <laughs> that if Rachel manages to climb back up to power by dethroning Evie Cho, she won't then become 
a terrible, horrible person again. I'm hoping that oh, yeah. maybe... I mean, I think this is like a circumstantial kind of a situation exactly, here. Exactly. Exactly. She, right now, is without power. She's had it stripped from her in a variety of ways. And so right now, she's fairly benign as far as characters go in the story right now. We're saying she's sympathetic, not that we like her. Yes. <laughs> Which is... And not that she's a good person, because she's not. Yes, because Victor made it clear in his email he didn't think that Rachel's a very interesting character. I I disagree, and I think it's because Rachel has these layers to her that I think she is interesting, that you can have sympathy for her, and yet you hold against her all the terrible things that she did, and she's done some of the worst things on this show. Like, I think if you're trying to compare her to Evie Cho, I think they've done equally horrible things. They are equal bad guy. However... You know, right now, Evie Cho has the power. Exactly. Exactly. So she's the greater threat. But my point about I was going to lead into about Rachel in this episode is her determined streak really came out here. And I appreciated that she kind of rallied Ira and was like, you know, do you want to die? No, we do not want to die. We're not just going to let Susan ignore us and stop fighting for a cure for this disease. I'm honestly very curious where this alliance between I- between Ira and Rachel is going to go. Me too. It could be very unless, interesting. Unless this was the extent of it. Maybe it is, but I kind of wouldn't think so. This is probably the most interest I've had in Ira as a character, actually, so far, is is seeing his him interacting with Rachel here on this episode. I think that's fair. And I think that, and I'm not trying to say Ira's a terrible character or something like that. He just hasn't had that much to do. Well, and again, part of it is that this is something that ties him to one of our existing characters. Yes. Because he's mostly been tied to Susan, who's also a new character. So, And something of a evil do we trust her, I'm not sure type of figure. Yeah. Well, so is Rachel. Well, yeah. But we know, we know Rachel better than Susan. I guess I was, tr- I was trying to insinuate that were Ira tied to a new character who was very, very likable and sympathetic then maybe I'd be oh. a little, that's what I was getting at. I gotcha. <laughs> Not that Rachel wasn't also an e- potentially evil right, type right. of character. So I feel very confident that Rachel is determined to try to find a cure for the clone disease. And I feel very confident that she wants to unseat Evie Cho from her new position of power. However, right. she says to her mother, we need to restore you as head of Neolution. I'm not sure I 100% believe that that is Rachel's intention. Well... I believe that Rachel will say what she needs to say in order to get the ball rolling. Yes. But is, is that your impression, too, that that's not necessarily a true goal of hers? Or I don't know. Because in one sense, we got indication from Susan that Susan would put Rachel in a position of power mm-hmm. if she was in power. So it could be. But I don't know. It's entirely possible that Rachel will get Susan to cooperate and then, you know, usurp her also so right i don't know right one thing i found really interesting in this episode is that we find out that rachel actually knows about some of the science yes i liked that they revealed that element of her again rachel is smart <laughs> <laughs> though i believe she- which we knew but in, in different ways than we knew her to be right smart I believe she responded to Kasima noting that she understood the science. Didn't she kind of make a caveat about it, though, that mostly she's trying to she's she's familiar with their disease and that's her main interest rather than generally the science behind the project? I think that was implied. Yeah, which makes sense because we know this is a thing that's bothering Rachel. So Mm -hmm. though it still was very impressive to me that she could look at their research and know what they were doing because I would have no clue. All that talk of vectors and things. Yeah, I need to figure out what they mean by that. They've said it a couple times this season, but usually I can kind of figure out from context what they're talking about. I know they're talking about using a virus in order to provide the therapy. I've heard of that concept before, but like this idea of vectors and things, I'm not familiar with that. So I need to need to do a little learning when it comes to that. So the floating swan is back. I still maintain it was floating at the end of last week's episode. Even if people think I'm nuts. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's not like it's really there, so it could very well be floating. I don't know. But Rachel had lots of swan visions in this episode, one of which involved an older bearded white guy. Yes, that is true. (laughs) Who might he be? And was it just me or was the setting he was in, it looked a little old fashioned? It did. There are so many different ways this could go. I really just have no 
I have no good information to contribute. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, is it the founder of Neolution? Is it? Well, that's what I was wondering, because and we forgot to talk about this in, in last week's episode, but we got a little info about the beginning of Neolution. They talked about a Victorian industrialist named Percival T. Westmoreland and how he used his resources to create a secret science society. And they were trying to breed a better human. So is this supposed to be a ver- a vision of P.T. Westmoreland? Possibly? I have no idea. Maybe I can pitch my voice even higher to indicate <laughs> my uncertainty? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That was my first thought. And, and then they just got more disturbing with the decapitated swan toward the end of the episode. What was that about? What was that about? <laughs> but yeah, like... If it is the founder of Neolution, is is he doing like a Milo Rambaldi thing? Like, what's going on? I don't understand your what's reference. Please explain. <laughs> it's it's a reference to Alias. Oh, okay. Throughout the seasons of Alias, there's this ongoing storyline about Rambaldi, who was an inventor. Anyway, it's not terribly important, but the people who watched Alias get me. <laughs> So you had thought maybe last week that the swan represented a figure in Neolution, perhaps, hopefully, a benevolent figure within Neolution. The decapitated swan makes me worry for that, or... (laughs) But, like, why a decapitated swan? Why? I don't know. I don't know. It was upsetting. I was glad it was only on the screen for a couple seconds. Yeah, and then it... I mean, it wasn't even that long. It was yeah. It was a really a just a quick clash, and it, mm-hmm. and it didn't even quite look, you know, because the the swan doing the thing where it's sort of digitized looking, like it was mostly digitized looking. Yeah. So it at least didn't look quite real, but it was unnerving. Like that's which is the point. And Rachel even told Ira about her swan visions, which surprised me. That surprised me also, but I guess is. Proof of the actual alliance there. Because mm-hmm. you would think that Rachel might keep that to herself. She doesn't trust that many people. But at the same time, you know, who who else is she going to tell? And he's the one who's been most directly involved with her bionic eye, it seems. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know that Charlotte would be uh, that helpful no, necessarily not pro- in that particular situation. Probably not the best confidant for that situation. I was just thinking back to the end of season two when Rachel got hit in the eye with a pencil and we were speculating, is it going to be an eye patch? Is there going to be a bionic eye? And, and of course... And people scoffed at us about the bionic eye, but look now! Ha, ha. It was both <laughs> Orphan Black Riders had their cake and they ate it too. <laughs> bionic cake. <laughs> I also appreciate that they have shown... I mean, granted, there's not much... Not much time has passed timeline-wise on the show. However, I'm still glad that they are showing Rachel's progress in recovering from the brain damage she suffered she suffered from the pencil. I, mm-hmm. I'm glad that she's not just back to her, her usual level of ability that she had at the beginning of the series. Yeah, they're not glossing over it. Yeah. And I and I honestly I hope that she doesn't recover completely. I, I hope that she does retain some difference from going through this experience. Right. It would seem dishonest if she doesn't. Mm -hmm. Kasima and Sarah, through MK's help, have made contact with Neolution Island. (laughs) I like that you're just calling it that now. Well, why not? (laughs) Neolution Island. It sounds like a new TV show. (laughs) Next on Neolution Island. I think we need to say it every time we, we... Say it that way every time we mention it. On Neolution Island this episode, we we had Kasima making contact with them. I loved I loved the way she great she greeted Rachel <laughs> with the yo Rachel. Yo. <laughs> I I cackled a couple times in this episode and that was one of them. Oh, Kasima. It's just so Kasima. <laughs> was it just me or did she seem to have a bit more of her old sparkle back in this episode? It's the news about Delphine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it, I just, it felt like she was more like her old self than she has seemed in a while. Because of Delphine. Because of Delphine. I know. I'm, cr- I'm just saying. <laughs> I know. I just, would it be better if I said because of Delphine? 
Yeah, I'm sure it would. Thank you very much for doing that. That was a good one. That was a good one. Thank you. For the record, because I feel like some people are uncertain about this, I do want Delphine back. <laughs> I do like Delphine. People think you don't like Delphine? I think so. Mm. I don't know why. Chris likes Delphine. I do. I like Delphine a lot. And Delphine has put a little sparkle back into Cosima's eye. Yeah, how, how's this for a transition? I like Delphine a lot, but not as much as Cosima does. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent job. I loved the initial phone call between the Duncans and, and oh, what do we, if it's Neolution Island, is it Science Basement? What, what do we call, <laughs> what do we call the little lab in the comic um, book shop? The Pot Cave. <laughs> there we go. But I, I liked when they were doing their first little conference with the Pot Cave people that Scott was like, I'm not working with Rachel. She even cheats at at Agricola. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was good. That was like, that was like a perfect Scott line. I believe it, Scott. <laughs> and I I actually I appreciate that he said that because it, it seems like as a result there's going to be this this swap where we have Cosima flying to Neolution Island and maybe Rachel headed for not the Pot Cave probably but you know for for Clone Ronto which is an <laughs> extremely intriguing idea, Rachel and Sarah trying to work with each other. Ooh. That just doesn't seem like a good idea, does it? It really doesn't. <laughs> it really doesn't. I just, I don't see it being productive. There's so little trust there. Is she going to be at the, the safe house? I wouldn't trust bringing Rachel to the safe house. I don't think... You know what would be hilarious? Hmm. If they had her stay with Felix. <laughs> That could be good. That could be very good. It would just be like just a dozen shots of Rachel's face saying no. no. <laughs> I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> However, for some reason, even though I'm like, Kasima, are you sure you really want to go to Neolution Island? I feel Neolution Island. I feel a little bit better her going there without Rachel being there. I don't know why that makes me feel better about it, but it but it does. Well, because of the history. She smashed her bone marrow treatment. Yep. So speaking of Kasima, she comes up with this plan to create a blastocyst with a Lita egg and castor sperm. Which just makes me go, ew. Ew, ew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's supposed to a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's Sarah's reaction. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you want my egg to do what? what? <laughs> Could it be any sperm but that? <laughs> uh, no one else's would work, though. Yeah, I know. But I'm intrigued by this idea of the blastocyst. I'm surprised they haven't come around to using Sarah's DNA in some significant way before this, actually. So I'm kind of... Well, because you've been saying that for years now. I know. So I'm kind of excited <laughs> that, hey, Sarah's playing a part. <laughs> yep. At least her egg is. <laughs> Yay. It, just, it does seem weird, though, because mm -hmm. they, they even made a point of it last season. Dr. Cody was experimenting with... What was it? She injected Sarah with, with Rudy's blood. Mm -hmm. To see how she reacted to the castor pathogen. Right. And found out she was immune. Mm -hmm. We were like, what took you guys so long <laughs> to figure all this stuff out? <laughs> Since Sarah and Helena seem to not have this problem that the others have, why, why are they not investigating this further? I mean, granted, we're not scientists. We don't know how all this works, but it just seems like a logical place to start. It really That's does. That's all we're saying. Yes. Yes. That's all we're saying. <laughs> So I'm intrigued by Kasima's plan and what might come of that. I think if they are interested in talking more about stem cells and that type of, of research, this is a, a good vehicle for that. If they want to, they may not go that route. Mm -hmm. But I loved Kasima's line to Scott when she was in the helicopter about them being mad scientists. <laughs> Dude, we are mad scientists. Don't be a hater. <laughs> See, Kasima, old Kasima seems to be back a little bit. Yay, it made me so happy. Because Delphine. Because Delphine. I know, Chris. I know. <laughs> She's happy about Delphine possibly being alive. Aren't you? Aren't we all? Or, well, aren't we most? <laughs> <laughs> I am. So, yes, all of us here, we are happy. And all this stuff between the Pot Cave and New Lucian Island, it's really, to me, it's pushing the clone illness to the front. It seems to be prioritizing it in the story which I'm glad for because it really feels like they put a just hit a big pause button for two seasons. And I've kind of been I wouldn't say for two seasons because I felt like it was still pretty important for much of season two. But yeah, it, it got majorly 
backburgered in season three. Yeah. Season two, yes, it was, especially with the whole storyline with Jennifer. I, I will agree with that. However, it didn't seem like Cosima really got much worse or much better until she had kind of that big dramatic collapse. Mm -hmm. But definitely season three, it feels like there was a big pause button on it. But now we have MK presenting with symptoms too, which makes me sad. But uh, Me too. But again, makes me glad that maybe it's going to move the clone illness storyline along. Don't kill MK, please, show. I like her. I want to learn more about her. They just introduced her. Don't Please don't kill her. Don't do that to us. But yeah, I, I hate to say this. I kind of like that this is the direction the story is taking with MK getting sick. I Again, I don't want any harm to come to MK, but I feel like this is perhaps greater indication that there's a certain inevitability to the clone illness. Mm -hmm. You know, that eventually they're all going to get it, except for probably Sarah and Helena. Right. Because it's a question we'd had before. Are they definitely going to get it? And it seems like probably they are. Because that was part of the conference call, too, with Evie Cho, was Evie Cho was talking about how they don't have to worry about anybody except for Sarah and her self-aware sisters, right? Because all of the other clones were essentially going to get sick and die. Yeah. So now we have an answer to that, at least. So, And I also think it it, it is a logical way to encourage MK to make contact with Clone Club again. Because she is right. so paranoid and isolated, I think this is a logical vehicle for her to overcome those things and reach back out to them. Right, because this is a thing she cannot do by herself. Exactly. And that's the comment she makes to Sarah, that Beth was right. We really can't do these things by ourselves. Because I got the impression that she started presenting with symptoms recently. I thought that was what they were trying to imply. Yeah, I agree. And that was the big impetus for her to contact Kira and then Sarah. Seems likely. There was a line in there that, I'm not saying that it was inaccurate, but it confused me a little bit. Because when MK was greeting Kasima. She said that Beth told me about you. How was your illness? How did she know about Kasima being sick? Did Sarah tell her? Because Beth didn't know. Oh, that's a good point. Although, we don't know whether or not Beth knew. But Kasima, they didn't show Kasima presenting symptoms until the end of season one. Right. They didn't show us the audience that, but we don't know what the situation was. Technically. Technically, we didn't know. Oh, you think that perhaps Kasima had symptoms before then and she told Beth, but nobody else? It's possible, is all I'm saying. Mm. <laughs> the show didn't indicate as such, ever. No. But I'd say there's wiggle room if they want to, like, retcon that in. Well, but I'm honestly trying to remember if Sarah had mentioned it. Or it's possible MK just, I don't know, figured it out. She's a hacker. But that line, it kind of it made little bells go off in my head because I was thinking, wait a minute. We, as far as we've been told, Beth wouldn't have known that Kasima was sick. Right. But who knows? I like that Kasima told MK she could leave her mask on because she thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little perplexed by MK's reaction to that, though, because MK kind of seemed discouraged by that. Yeah, even though I don't think that was Kasima's intent. No, it, it wasn't her intent. I wouldn't think. No, uh, but maybe MK took it the wrong way. That right. she she was saying, oh, I think it's funny you're, you're wearing a sheet mask, ha 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 ha, rather than Kasima was saying she thought the reference to Dolly the Sheep was funny. Right. I mean, it makes sense, though, right? I mean, MK is a bit socially awkward, so yeah. it's not surprising that she would not know how to take Kasima's comment, never having spoken to Kasima before. Exactly. We had speculated how MK might be helpful if she was reintroduced into the story. Doesn't seem like she might be helpful in the ways that we speculated about, but she does still seem to be an asset. I was pleased to see her be able to help them with the situation with Duco this week. Yeah. It can't hurt to have a hacker on your side, right? If modern television has told me anything, <laughs> it is it's that. always have a hacker on your team. <laughs> and speaking of, of the situation with Duco, that was clearly the storyline that had me nervous and leaning forward this week. The intersection between Duco and Mrs. S and the Hendrixes and, oh, Mrs. S, Mrs. S. Did you cheer when she did what she did? I did not. Because here's the thing. Yes, Duco, Duco, did horrible things. <laughs> However, he seemed to have a little bit of humanity in him. He was kind to Kendall when they were out in the cold. 
and until he kills her. Well, yes, I know, Chris. I know that I there know, are layers. I know you know. <laughs> so while I, w- you know, I wasn't exactly sad to see Duco get shot. It, it it did kind of make me sad for Mrs. S that that was something she felt like she had to do. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I think they did make a point of of having that moment not being one of triumph for her, but but she seemed genuinely kind of sad about it. Yeah. That said, we did get an email from Stephen. It was titled Duco, and the content of the email was just deserved it. <laughs> Is this the same Stephen who sent an, a similarly succinct, pithy email previously? I honestly don't remember. Well, thank you for your email, Stephen. <laughs> I was rather amused to get that. <laughs> yes, I, I I agree. I feel like Duco deserved it. He was he was doing bad things and f- for money. He tried to say that it, oh, it was just for my niece. I had to take that money. Uh, mm, mm. Here here's the thing about that. He's he was talking about his niece, and he says she's she's like ten. Yeah, <laughs> like he's not quite sure how old she is. How close are you really, Duco? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And if he was getting all this money, why didn't he eventually use it to try to get away from them? You could do a lot with a lot of money. But neolutionists are everywhere, apparently. I guess so. I guess so. As poor Donnie found out this week. Even if they may be maybe, uh, concentrated on Neolution Island. <laughs> <laughs> they spread outward from Neolution Island. That's where they hatched them. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about what, anymore. Why is it like every 25 years, the neolutionists rise from the sea and they plant their eggs along the beach and <laughs> <laughs> they return to the water. <laughs> Little hatchlings spring up and if they don't find their way to the nearest maggot bot, they die. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we're a little punchy this week, folks. Are we sorry? <laughs> Before we move on to the, all of the, the stuff with Donnie, however, getting back to that upsetting scene with Duco and Mrs. S, that was just really an intense moment where she's telling Art and Sarah to leave. Like, this is her turn now, essentially. Mm-hmm. And they left her. And they do. Mm-hmm. There's there's tacit approval of, of Mrs. S's actions. But why didn't they put a tarp down first? Come on. Yeah, I know. I've got to call you out, Chris, because I saw some of your live tweeting and you were like, protect the comics. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to add humor to a serious and sad moment. It's what I do. I said, I said, put at least put a tarp down first and then hashtag priorities. was actually what I tweeted. Oh, okay. Excuse me. I didn't mean to misquote you. That sounds so much better. You sound so much more compassionate. (laughs) To be fair, the official Orphan Black Twitter account retweeted somebody else saying something about protect the comics or there are collectibles in there or something like that. I wasn't the only one, Stephanie. (laughs) But Duco, he finally did reveal under threat of shocks. That was really unnerving. It was it was extremely unnerving. But he finally revealed that Evie has a plan with her maggot bots to do something with them once they are implanted in unsuspecting people, thinking that they're using them for gene therapy. But he doesn't know what she's actually going to do with them. So what is she actually going to do with them? Probably gene therapy, but maybe not exactly what everybody thought it was going to be. Good point. At least possibly. Or it could be a matter of information gathering. I mean, I don't know. There are lots of possibilities, and very few of them are good. They still have, I think, they still have that maggot bot that they stole that was in Sarah. And I'm hoping they might come back to that, that Scott and Kasima and the the people, other people at Neolution Island will help them <laughs> maybe investigate the maggot bot to see what it was actually doing to Sarah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe... Kasima has it with her. Take it to Susan. Who has better resources than she does, or at least more resources than she does. Tied in with all of the the Duco storyline this week was obviously the situation going on with Donnie and Allison and his arrest that we saw at the end of last week's episode. I had sympathy for Donnie getting roughed up, for sure, and being threatened and always getting his eye gouged and his brain potentially punctured. Poor Donnie, yes. However, Donnie... You idiots, don't just start talking to the first person who comes up to you in prison like, oh yeah, I did this thing. 
Oh. The whole time he was doing that, I was just kind of like, Donnie, shut, shut up. up. You have no idea who you're talking to. Shut up, shut up, shut up. How can you still be this naive? <sighs> Donnie. I love you, Donnie, but come on. Donnie. And I liked that when they brought Adele in to help with this little storyline this week, I, she actually gave him good advice, despite being something of an incompetent drunk lawyer, apparently. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, no, I don't think anybody ever really said incompetent. <laughs> Well, it's just that the other stuff overshadows the competency. <laughs> but it was too bad that she did not get to him sooner because he just ran his mouth and got himself in a really bad spot. Though, to be to be fair, the Neolution muscle guy probably would have figured who out who he was eventually. But still, Donnie made it so easy. I know. Like, there was no, there was barely any prompting. No, like, hey, I did this thing. It was like, hey, what'd you do? <laughs> and then Donnie's like, let me detail it for you. <laughs> Here's a list of my charges. And all the drugs <laughs> and, that I sold. <laughs> but, but but this detailed list actually left out this. <laughs> <sighs> no, Donnie. Also, not good that Donnie wasn't really listening to Adele when she was there. No, because he was distracted by... I, I, I will call him what IMDb calls him, which is threatening Neo. I like that. It also makes me think of him be- beating up Keanu Reeves, and I don't mind that image in my head. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> the first Matrix was Matrix was good. <laughs> I still have issues with it. It's an entertaining <laughs> film. We can get into this discussion later, Chris. <laughs> I couldn't enjoy it. The guy next to me was leaning halfway into my seat. Anyway. <laughs> it's very frustrating for me. Uh, but Adele was really pretty entertaining in this episode. She was. the uh, One of the other moments that made me just cackle out loud was Allison's reaction after Adele made that offhand comment about, oh, let me make sure you're not going to get frisk. It's not as good, as fun as it sounds. Allison's <laughs> face after that just made me crack up. I think the part that made me crack up was when she walks in and she, she has that moment where she looks really uncertain about Allison. And then Felix explains, it's Sarah's twin sister. And she says, oh, you look just... Or you look exactly alike, except... Less angry with a- and better hygiene. <laughs> yes. It's a great line. Or less angry and more hygiene. I forget. Wait, anyway. Yeah, something like that. But it was it was a good line. Yeah, so I, I actually really ad- enjoyed them bringing Adele back to help with the legal stuff in this episode. Yay. I hope she's not evil. <laughs> I hope she's not evil, too. I'm feeling better and better about her. Me, too. Me, too. Her story so far is checking out. Yeah. But yeah. we're paranoid, because... This show. Exactly. There's been precedent. So what did you think about the storyline they did with Allison this week and putting her between a a rock and a hard place and trying to make her turn against her sisters? This was, I think, as nervous as I got this episode, even with Mrs. S doing her thing with her rifle. The fact that I wasn't sure what Allison was going to do, I thought that was really well done. Me too. And the fact that they used musical theater along the way even better because they have they have the sequence right where donnie's getting tormented intercut with allison performing jesus christ superstar and when she first started singing because this was after you know she went and talked to duco and she seemingly turned on her clone sisters and when allison comes out and starts singing i turned to susan i was like she's singing the judas part and i was like come on orphan black that's a little that's a little on the nose that's a little on the nose i should have known it's on the nose if you know jesus christ superstar okay fine but of course i know jesus christ superstar chris who are you talking but i don't oh okay i'm talking about me (laughs) (laughs) go watch the 1970 film version it's very very entertaining i will do that orphan black has inspired me to do that because that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> the 1970s film version was is as gay as that, I think would say. <laughs> Judas, oh, I guess in that number he does wear like a bright silvery outfit. Because I was wondering why she was wearing that silver cape. But yes, he actually does wear kind of a silvery disco outfit in that number. Now that I'm remembering. <laughs> it's not my favorite of the, of the film. I, I like other numbers better, so I don't revisit that one as much. I'm just saying, though, that... I would watch a whole series of that, of Sarah Stubbs and Allison. Yes, Sarah Stubbs is great. She is amazing and should be around and singing all the time. I love Sarah Stubbs. I know I've expressed my love for her before, but I just love her to death. I'm so happy they have found ways to naturally bring her back into the storyline. Maybe it's not so natural that they're now doing another musical production. I don't care. (laughs) Give me more community theater, please. 
But it kind of, I mean, it makes sense, though, because it's Allison, mm-hmm. and Allison's response to traumatic things going on is to do things that are, like, ridiculously, like, to a ridiculous extent, what she would be doing anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and they've established since, was it episode three that she does community theater? So it's not like they just suddenly brought in this aspect of her life for kicks, you know. It, it, it was a very early on established thing that Allison did. Right. And as previously <laughs> mentioned, like any excuse to bring Sarah Stubbs back as often as possible. I love her and I love Tara Hazelton who plays her. So I'd be super up for any more musical numbers they want to throw in this season. If this is all we get, I'm happy to. This was fantastic. The, especially the part of the number after Allison realized that Donnie was okay and she really got into it. Oh, that was just amazing. It was good already, but that was that's when I tweeted in all caps, like, amazing. Like, just got amazing. So during the musical piece, they also showed Allison stumbling upon an old airplane bottle size. That's the wrong order of the words. Airplane sized bottle of vodka in her makeup train case. I don't want them to go down the road of Allison's alcoholism again. How do you feel about that possibility? I don't either. Although, at the same time, it would be thematically relevant since this season seems to be all about, you know, repeating patterns. Yes. So I could see them going down this road. I don't know that I want them to. I want, I'd be okay with it if it's this matter of the temptation is there, but enough stuff has happened or perhaps her friendship with Sarah Stubbs or something, if something stops it from happening again. To me, that would be the better story. I agree. I I think it's fine and great to see her struggling with such things, but having her be drinking and going back into where she was kind of back in season two, I'm not as interested in seeing that. Right. I don't think, however, she's going to be turning to Reverend Mike anytime soon for support. Can we? It's he's just he's just kind of a boob. He's, he's in, in my opinion, he doesn't seem to be a very effective or, or comforting preacher type. Yeah, I have kind of mixed feelings about him because he did have the one line, which I thought was funny, that, I mean, not, not a good thing to say. Don't say this. But the whole, I'm sure the children who witnessed it will be just fine with proper therapy. Dipstick. I mean, what? <laughs> Oh no, it's a jacky thing to say, but it it made me laugh. <laughs> oh, it did it did give me a little chuckle, but I was just like, "Oh, you jacky." <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that I appreciated about him was that he didn't push Allison too hard, you know, cuz clearly something was bothering her and she posed this hypothetical question to him and he brought up the fact that she and Donnie had had made vows to each other and everything, but then let her sit with it mm-hmm. rather than being very pushy or whatever about it. So I'm like, at least he wasn't being a jerk about it. <laughs> Not about that. He was and wasn't, I guess. I kind of feel like he is overstepping social norms a little bit. Like, I get it. It's his job. He's He wants to try to help people with their problems. But I feel like Allison's Body language and demeanor indicate that she's not particularly interested in him prying in what's going on with her, and yet he still does mm-hmm. it. No, that's fair. I guess I'm mostly glad that he didn't make it worse yeah. after after that certain point. Yes. Yeah. And and I mean, I think he didn't – he ultimately, I don't think he gave it her bad advice. And I think he gave her expected advice given who he is. It was basically like, listen to your conscience. Yes. Yeah. So I'm okay with it. And I did want to follow up. I mentioned last week that I thought, or we were wondering if this was the same reverend for, that we saw back in season one. And according to IMDb, it is. He has been in four episodes, that one in season one, the season two episode, and then two episodes this season. So yay for continuity. I love that Orphan Black does that, that they bring back the same actors and same characters. Mm-hmm. We still haven't seen Bobby this season, though. I half expect to see her at some point, but we'll see. Oh, speaking of of recurring characters, he wasn't in it, but I squealed when Art revealed that he was talking to Raj on the phone when they were driving, looking for Mrs. S. (laughs) I said, Raj! (laughs) I kid you not, when Art's on the phone, he's like, thanks, Raj. I could hear you in my head going, Raj! (laughs) (laughs) It made me happy. (laughs) So I'm sitting here with my partner, Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. 
as I was editing the episode, I realized that Chris and I didn't actually get to talk that much about the whole situation with Allison this week. We got distracted by Jesus Christ Superstar. And so I wanted to get your thoughts about that whole plot element this week, because you've, you've mentioned a few things to me over the past couple of days. Yeah, that was really a tense, probably the tensest part of the episode for me, because I didn't want to believe that Allison would actually sort of betray Sarah and set her up with Zuko, but she was in this impossible situation where Donnie was in so much danger, and I, I really like the way that they, they structured that to where we didn't know until everything kind of went down that she hadn't just ratted them out. Did you consider what she might do at all? Did you have any inkling as to what direction she might go? I, I thought that she might because Felix was there. Pull him aside and say, hey, this is what is happening. Let Sarah know what's happening. But I wasn't sure what she would do because she was so desperate. And I mean, she is the only one of the Clones and Clone Club that signed the agreement with Dyad in the first season. And she seems to be the one that's the most invested in having a really kind of normal, middle-class, respectable-looking life. And so I wasn't sure how far she would go. And I think of main Clone Club, she's the one who's been able to stay apart from the really high-risk situations thus far. Yes. And so... I think it's less clear how she would react in this situation versus Sarah or Kasima. Yes, yes. She's got kind of more outside that circle going on. And there's that conversation she has with her minister, who, by the way, I do not trust. <laughs> Reverend Mike? No, no. Not not at all. We talked about how he was a bit of a boob, not very good at dealing with else. <laughs> yeah. I I just don't trust him. Mm. Uh, he's a little too pushy for my taste. He, he is. And he it is. may just be he's not particularly good at the whole pastoral care aspect of his profession, but you're, you're taking that to mean he's potentially shady? There's just something about the fact that he shows up to kind of talk to her, and I know that Donnie invited him, but that's the same night when the cops show up and raid Gemma's slumber party, and there's... I just don't know. Okay. That's fair. Uh, especially because religious officials and religious folks don't come off looking particularly well in this show. True. So far they have not. So far they have not. So this would maybe be a good opportunity to have a more upstanding religious character on the show. Yeah, I don't think Reverend Mike's it. <laughs> Just don't. And, and partially because he does that whole, like, you took a vow and your loyalty is first to Donnie and you stood right there in this church and like, But at the same time, I can understand him giving her that advice given who he, given his profession and his values. But in retrospect, I was sitting there and I was thinking what decision I thought Allison might make. And I, and I just really was not sure because clearly she has love and affection for Donnie. He's her husband, but ultimately I don't think I could see her turning on Sarah and Kasima either. Yeah, ultimately no. And that's really interesting, especially given what her first interactions with Sarah were in season one. You know, I'm nothing like you. Get away from me. Stay away from my children. That she chose to kind of play both sides, knowing that it could end badly for Donnie. So I'm I'm probably overstating this a little bit, but Detective Duco was clearly painting this as an either-or type of situation, whereas what the clones ended up doing through their cooperation was a both-and situation. Yes, yes. Feminism? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that, too. You know, he paints it as this, it's got to be this way or that way. And either choice is terrible. Mm -hmm. And uh, ultimately, the only one who meets a bad end is Duco himself. Yeah. Because I was thinking, and it might have even crossed Allison's mind, that even if she had gone through with turning in Sarah over to Duco, she had no real guarantee that nothing bad would happen to Donnie. Right. Either in that particular incident, or he's still going to be in jail with this guy. At least for a couple of days. At least for a couple of days. Right. And, oh, poor Donnie trying to act all 
prison savvy. I know. That's what we call a knife in here. But the thing that I want to see, and I don't know if I'll get to see this conversation, is think back to Sarah has that sort of frustrated moment with Allison and says, for God's sakes, Allison, pull your weight for once, which I think was a little bit unfair because Allison's been providing the money for all this for so long. But I wonder if Sarah knows kind of what Allison did and what all was involved and that she took the risk of losing her husband to save her and get Juco into their hands. And I want them to have a conversation about that. I would like for, by the end of the season, for them to have have a moment. I think Orphan Black is more complex that I don't think it's going to be they sit down and say, you know, blah, 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 because that's not generally how life no. works. But I, I would appreciate a nice, quiet moment between the two of them where Sarah can reflect back that Allison does contribute to Clove Club. She makes difficult decisions for the greater good of all of them. And because Chris and I even talked about after Sarah had made that comment about pull your weight, Allison, whether Sarah ever knew what Allison did digging up Leaky's body in order to get the little maggot bot for her. But yeah, I I agree. I would love some sort of moment between Allison and Sarah by the end of the season. Right. I don't expect to see the conversation on screen because like you said, that's not this show. But I want kind of the equivalent between Sarah and Allison of that moment in not this past episode, but the episode previous where Sarah sits down and she and Mrs. S clasp hands. Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. That It could be as simple as that. Yes. Something like that. Donnie has been brought up on charges, clearly, and he's in jail for them. However, Duco was the big vehicle behind those charges and maybe even falsified some evidence in order to get to the point where they could arrest him. What do we think is going to happen to those now that Duco is dead? Are they going to be kind of like the charges against Felix, which just kind of disappeared and were never mentioned again? Well, and here's the thing, though. Did they actually officially charge him? Yeah, that was a good po- that's a good point. Ad- Adele did because make Adele's that. Adele's made mm-hmm. that comment about holding them for two days before pressing charges or something, right? Right. Because Duca made that comment about to, to Allison about how, you know, if she helped him, Donnie would get out on Monday and he would be fine. Well, there you go, then. But I'm wondering if that'll actually come to pass now that Duco's dead. Fingers crossed. Right. But at the same time, I actually, even though I don't really want to see Allison and Donnie get in trouble because I like them, I actually am glad that they did. They've done too much illegal stuff now that it feels just just right. silly that nothing ever came of those things. I was going to say, well, the thing is, like, he's guilty. <laughs> I know, exactly. He's guilty. And of other things also. <laughs> Not just of the drugs. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious to see where that will go. But it seems weird to me that they would arrest and possibly indict Donnie, but not Allison. Right. But again, I mean, the fact that it's essentially made up. Oh. Except they're not made up. No, no, no. I understand that, that Duco is using that as leverage against Allison, and that's why she wasn't arrested. However, if Mm -hmm. Donnie continues to be in prison past Duco's untimely demise, then I would really start to wonder... Shouldn't they have some evidence against Allison at this point, too? But maybe I'm just overthinking it. You would think, yeah. Moving into some stray thoughts about this episode, as well as some follow-up about last week, I was curious about the conversation that Susan was having with Charlotte, where she was clearly teaching her something that involved a lot of long Latin-y words. Yes, so I turned on the closed captioning and transcribed it and then Googled it. <laughs> What'd you find out, Chris? The whole thing starts off, Susan saying something about severe penvasculitis, also signs of meningoencephalitis and segmental enteritis. What do you suppose that means? And then Charlotte responds that we'll find a rhabdovirus. So... <laughs> I'm kind of like, I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) I gather it's something about diseases, because the word virus was in there. Exactly. And a bunch of itises. Mm -hmm. Looking everything up, a rhabdovirus is basically a type of virus. Uh, Rhabdos is the Greek word for rod, which is the shape of the virus. Oh, okay. 
So, like, rabies is a rhabdovirus, okay. apparently. Cool. Please don't, please don't yell at me if I'm wrong, science people. This is just... <laughs> Her Wikipedia. Yeah. We will link, put the links to these things in the show notes for anybody who is interested in looking up disease things. Meningoencephalitis is an infection or inflammation, or rather a, a disease that has symptoms of infection or inflammation of both the meninges, which is the three membranes that surround the brain and spinal cord, and the brain. Okay, that makes sense, because meningitis, that, okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yes, okay. that is an example of, yeah. And then um, enteritis is inflammation of the small intestine. Okay, interesting. So she was telling her about the different types of diseases that they were seeing in this fish, I, I gather. It was a type of fish. Yes. Again, from watching, I mean, because they only show a glimpse of it, but from watching- Yeah, it just looked like a little blob to me. Pretty much. From watching After the Black, they were talking about how it was so hard for them to find essentially prop fish that they used. It was, it was an actual fish from a study that was going on at, at a uh, local university, apparently. Oh, okay. So she's talking about, Susan, I mean, is talking about these diseases that they're seeing in this fish. And then the answer that Charlotte is giving her is what type of virus it could be. Apparently, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for looking all that up, writing it down and looking it up. I appreciate it. It took longer than I thought it would because I had to keep, like, rewinding it. <laughs> like, what is that? But these words are so long. <laughs> An ninja what? <laughs> Let's move on to some feedback that we got after our episode about episode seven. We got a enlightening tweet from our friend Rebecca. What did Rebecca have to say, Chris? <laughs> she explained that... Dizzy, or at least the actor who plays him, because if you'll recall, we were wondering, like, what is that accent? I don't quite recognize it. It sounds like a couple of different things. Rebecca says that he, or at least the actor who plays him, who is Joel Thomas Hines, is a Newfoundlander. Heard of it. I, I, I know <laughs> that they have large, adorable, fluffy dogs just running around. I'm kidding. No, but there's a... No? Newfies? Nothing? <laughs> oh. They're so huge, and I just want to hug their necks. Ugh. But thank you, Rebecca, for the information. And I realized when I was editing that <laughs> it accidentally sounded like, or sounded like I was implying that I didn't trust Dizzy because he sounded Irish sometimes. I was not <laughs> implying that I d distrust Irish people. <laughs> I just meant that his, it seemed like his accent changed, and that made him seem a little shifty. I think Irish <laughs> people are great. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Stephanie. Sorry if I offended anybody who's Irish. No no offense intended. But Rebecca did also add in her tweet, the Canadian accent that even Canadians don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca is our, our go-to person for when we have questions about Canada. Oh, Rebecca, so so could I could I call their priest a hoser? Is that a is that an appropriate thing to call him, huh? Or is that more offensive than I think it is? Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Stephanie, don't don't make it worse. <laughs> we also got an email from Brad, and he had a couple of, of topics that he wanted to mention. He he wanted to talk about Marion Bowles, who we've said several times, like, whatever happened to her? And I did notice this thing that he's pointed out, but we did not, I don't believe, at least talk about it in the podcast. He mentioned that in episode four, MK is creating an organization chart for Topside, and Marion's picture on that chart is X'd out. And he said, I presume that means she is dead, though I suppose it could mean something else, like MK has deemed her not guilty of the Helsinki event. And I did notice that, but I still, I guess, and thank you, Brad, for pointing that out. I just, uh, I guess I'm not sure how she was killed, why she was killed. You know, I still feel like there's lots of loose ends with her character. And if she was killed. Yeah. Because, yeah, I noticed that, too, that it was on the, the chart. But an X over somebody could mean a lot of things, as you point out. Exactly. So, did she get killed? Did she get fired? Which is also why we were asking the question, because like that's about as much information as we've got. Yeah. That and the thing that Susan said, so, you know. Because mm -hmm. she doesn't seem to be on Neolution Island. Or if she is, she is not <laughs> with Charlotte anymore, which is would be odd. But thank you, Brad, for pointing that out, because we I don't believe we did talk about that when we were discussing episode four. So thank you for allowing us to bring it up now. Brad also mentioned Evie Cho. Saying, in episode five, she talks about growing up as a bubble child. I know that real-life bubble children like Ted DeVita and David Vetter struggled both psychologically and emotionally due to the isolation that they were forced to endure. 
I wonder if such an upbringing could explain some of Evie's cold and cruel personality. Children that suffer pain can grow up lacking empathy for others, and that seems to be Evie's story. Factor in the illusion providing the cure and her learning from that culture during a highly influential time in her life, and I really think that explains the way explains why she is the way she is. And I agree, and I actually think that sort of mirrors Rachel's experience. Yeah, good point. We also got a comment from Annette about Episode 7. Annette said she loved Episode 7. It was said that episode would be different, a character-driven episode. I needed that after last week's. Yep. She went on to say, I have not liked Felix this season. I'm glad he stepped up and went to find Sarah. Oh, Felix. This is something that I don't know if you remember, but at the beginning of Season 2, or possibly before Season 2 started, there was a lot of talk about how there would be a falling out between Felix and Sarah. Mm. And so we and I think all of fandom were having a mild panic attack about it. (laughs) Because, you know, no, you can't do that. Sarah needs him. (laughs) And, you know, Felix has been so great and so, you know, reliable and everything for for all of this, like emotionally uh, necessary, kind of. So we were worried about this potential falling out, because that relationship is really kind of the heart of the show, or at least especially for the first season. So we were all concerned about it. And it basically, when it happened in season two, lasted for like an episode or an episode and a half, something like that. It was not a very long period of time, yes. And we were like, oh, we'd gotten all worked up and worried, and it was not that bad. Now, I feel like they were really, like they really did it this time Mm -hmm. with the beginning of this season. It's like, okay, this feels more like the falling out that had been threatened before. Yeah, I agree. I I don't know that I've gotten quite to disliking Felix this season, but he's definitely tried my patience in a few episodes with, I think, some inappropriate behavior. But at the same time, you know, Sarah was also not acting the best toward him. So they were it was just kind of a feedback loop of people being bratty. Yeah, I feel like there's been a lot of that this season with really all of the characters. Like, it's one of those things you understand where they're coming from. I think we're sympathetic to them. But at the same time, they're doing things that we really wish they wouldn't. Yes. Things that are immature or acting out or whatever. But I think last week and again this week, it felt more like the old dynamic between Sarah and Felix and in this episode between Sarah and Felix and Mrs. S in particular. I loved that scene. We didn't talk about it earlier, but I loved that scene when they were in Felix's apartment And it was right before Allison called him and they were talking about the whole Allison situation. And for no apparent reason, Felix is just getting dressed in the background. (laughs) Why why, why did he have an entire scene with his shirt off? Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. He is an attractive man, Jordan Gavaris. (laughs) However. (laughs) When he starts the scene, like, even less dressed. In his skivvies, I know, and pulls on some pants and then spins the rest of the scene. At least he had underwear on. Yeah, okay. That's true. That's true. Usually we see the bum when he's when he's mm-hmm. in his apartment. That's right. It could have started off with him putting the underwear on. From behind, we get a bum shot. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. True. I'm just saying. <laughs> it could have been a lot more nude than it was. <laughs> that would have been weird, though, right? Sarah and Mrs. S were right there. I know. I know it would have been weird. But at the same time, like I'm not remotely surprised to see Felix getting dressed like with the others, just kind of sitting there completely unaffected by the whole thing yeah i I do feel like he is not and and maybe okay go with me here maybe it was a little bit of a callback to the first episode where or second episode excuse me of the season where sarah came back and she is teasing him and he's in the shower and Mm -hmm. he's acting all demurely and that's communicating kind of like the rift between them maybe this is a call back to that moment to show their relationship has been restored because of how comfortable he is around her. Oh. Huh? Huh? I'll go with that, sure. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Also just Jordan Gavaris, very pretty. I- <laughs> yeah, I think that's as much what it is as anything. I don't know if you remember this. At some point, I don't remember if it was before season two or season three, Jordan Gavaris at some point had made some comment about how he'd like, show his bare bum in every episode if it meant they got renewed or something like that. I this. do remember I this. Do, yeah. So I just, I, I feel like to some extent the writers have, like, a minimum number of episodes <laughs> where 
we have to have him at least partially undressed for this many episodes this season. <laughs> There's just like a number somewhere written down. Like, is it time for another one yet? <laughs> hey, Jordan, looks like you've been working out. How do you feel about being shirtless? We're missing Paul. We need somebody to be shirtless. <laughs> Good point. I'm just saying. I did really like how that scene kind of, well, I guess it wasn't the end of the scene, but <laughs> toward toward the end of that interaction, both Sarah and Mrs. S give him different shirts to wear. And he's just like, no, <laughs> I'll pick out my own shirt. <laughs> it was a really nice little family moment. I, I really enjoyed it. That moment of like, you guys realize I'm a grown man, right? <laughs> Though I got to say between the two of them, I would have worn the shirt that Mrs. S picked out for him. Yeah, probably. I didn't get a good look at the one Sarah was was offering him, just that it was a lot of colors. Yeah, that was the big turnoff for me. I am not a lot of colors type of person, but Felix is. Felix can pull it off, though. Speaking of a lot of colors, I think that the pants, the leggings that Cosima was wearing in this episode were ones she had worn previously. They looked familiar to me. I don't remember. I I like when you see characters wear clothes again, so I just was pointing it out. I know, you have have mentioned that before. I do, too. I mean, it's... Have we talked about Kasima's new jacket, by the way? I don't think we have. Because she's wearing a, a different red coat. Mm. It's not the same red coat. I like Felix's coat that he's wearing this season. Unlike his first coat, I don't think that I would wear this coat that he's wearing, but it looks good on him. We also got a message on Facebook from Jim. He asks, do you think they're going to bring Crystal into the club? I can think of reasons why they wouldn't and also reasons why they really should. Also, is Ferdinand gone now? I was really liking his energy. I'm surprised how much I enjoyed the reappearance of Ferdinand. I wouldn't be opposed to him coming back. I don't know if he will, but I'd be up for it. I think that's fair. Because the dynamic is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Because it's not like we can really trust him, but at the same time... He's been helpful. Exactly. He's kind of like like Helena was for for a while. (laughs) Like, you're not quite sure (laughs) what they're going to do, but... You know, sometimes you need that. And even though MK took away all of his money, I actually don't mind that idea as an end to Rachel's storyline is like she and Ferdinand go off to some remote island somewhere and be happy together. Non-Neolution Island. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. He doesn't like Neolutionists. I forgot. (laughs) Right. Fair point. I was like, why not Neolution Island? But you're right. He's not a fan of Neos. Neolution this island. <laughs> but as to bringing Crystal into Clone Club, I really don't know. I, I enjoy Crystal, and I I love her interactions with Felix, but I feel like they're trying to keep her out of things. Right. I feel the same way. I mean, as entertaining as it would probably be to introduce her to Clone Club and have her be a part of it, I would worry for her. <laughs> Because I I don't know, I don't think Crystal would handle it that well. I could be wrong. But also, I mean, the fact that they are keeping her out of it to keep her safe. Yeah, and I was going to say, they learned this episode, that threat that Evie Cho made about, you know, the naive clones were just going to let them go. But the self-aware clones, they won't be treated as humanely. After hearing Evie Cho say that, I find it very unlikely they would induct a new member into Clone Club if they didn't have to. Right. I agree. So unless Crystal comes knocking at their door and seems to have figured out more than she has right now, I I don't see it happening. Which makes me sad on one level, but I do want Crystal to be safe. She's had enough bad things happen to her already. When the series ends... She can be in Clone Club. (laughs) In the last episode, they've taken care of all of the threats, everybody's safe, then we can have like a big family reunion with everybody who is left. I'm down with that. And and I would enjoy it quite a bit, yeah. Clone Dance Party version 2. <laughs> the visual effects people collapse. <laughs> the mere thought of it. I'm very sorry. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode, the redesign of natural objects. You may do so in several ways. You can go and leave a comment on our show notes over at tatianaiseveryone.com slash 107. Send us email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. We really love getting voice messages. You can do that in a couple of ways. Record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us, or call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. 
We are on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we're also on Facebook. Tatiana is everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. We have other podcasts for shows including Killjoys and Lost Girl and some other things. You can find all of those over at AskGenreTV.com. In this episode, Neolution Island was populated entirely by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. Is a Newfoundland. New- Newfoundland. Ah, damn it. Go ahead. Sorry. Newfoundland. But it's Newfin- Newfoundlander. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it so hard to say?